Brothers and sisters, invite you to take your seats and then also take open your Bibles. And invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Titus. To the book of Titus in the New Testament. Titus chapter 1. And we will jump into our, to our teaching and hearing from God's word this morning. Titus chapter 1, we're beginning a new series on the book of Titus, the letter uh, from the Apostle Paul to Titus. And this morning, our scripture reading will be the first four verses of Titus chapter 1. And so, uh, this is our custom, we do... Every time we approach God's word, we want to uh, pray for uh, the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. And so um, I invite you to join with me as we pray uh, before we begin. Father God, we do come now with, uh, as Isaiah said, with fear and trembling at your word. Because we know that you have spoken to us. That this is your scripture that is breathed out and is useful to teach us, to correct us, and to train us, your people, in righteousness. And so, God, we ask that the Holy Spirit would do his work of bringing clarity to your word. That you would give us eyes to to see and ears to hear what wonderful things you have for us in your word. So we ask that you would do that now. In the name of Christ we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Titus chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is the reading of God's word, and we say, thanks be to God. So we begin a new, um, a new study on the book of Titus that we have just read the introduction to. Titus is a letter It's a letter from the Apostle Paul, and we've covered um, the Apostle Paul's life in various series as we've gone through various books of his, but a brief bio of the author of this letter, the human author of this letter is the Apostle Paul, who um, was a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He um, He was a rabbi, and he was one of the most vehement opponents of the Christian faith would go around in the early church and would persecute the Christian church until the Lord appeared to him 
as he was on the road to Damascus to go and capture more Christians and throw them into jail or worse. And Jesus appeared to him and gave him a calling. And then the Apostle Paul is transformed by the work of Christ. Becomes one of the leaders in the church. Is an apostle. And is the author of much of the New Testament. This is who our author is. The recipient we probably don't know as well. But the recipient is Titus. We saw that in verse 4. To Titus. Who is Titus? Well, he is a companion of Paul's. He's a, a, a protege so to speak, like Timothy. So Titus is what is generally referred to as the pastoral, as part of the pastoral epistles. First Timothy, second Timothy, and Titus. First and second Timothy written to Timothy, who was a pastor uh, who was appointed by Paul to lead over in the church of Ephesus. And Titus, likewise, was charged with leading a church on the island of Crete. A couple of things about Titus's life before we get into our main outline of our instruction this morning a couple of things he was a companion of Paul's early in his ministry he never is mentioned in the book of Acts but you can find uh, evidence of of where Titus appears in Paul's ministry through Paul's letters but, uh, mostly through second uh, Corinthians and this is largely because Titus was a carrier of the letter to the church of Corinth. So he's a companion of Paul's uh, ministry early on. <clears throat> he was present at the famous Jerusalem council in Acts 15. We know that from uh, Galatians 2. Titus is mentioned as one of the ones who went with Paul and Barnabas to uh, the council in, in Jerusalem in Acts 15. He most likely accompanied Paul on Paul's second and third missionary uh, journeys. Almost definitely he did, um, even though he's never mentioned in Acts. Uh, he acted as Paul's representative in the church of Corinth. So first and second Corinthians. He was the one when Paul speaks about having to write a very severe letter to the church at Corinth. Timothy's the one who's carrying that letter. He was sent on various other assignments, too. You can see from other passages of scriptures. He's fully Greek. We know that from Galatians chapter 2. So he was not circumcised, unlike Timothy, who had a Jewish mother. And Paul uses three terms to describe Timothy, or excuse me, Titus, and his, uh, the depth of the relationship that they had. Here's the, here's the three terms. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. When it says that uh, as Paul was on one of his missionary journeys in one of the, the towns, he says, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So he refers to him as my brother. Second one, second Corinthians chapter eight. He references Titus again and he says, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. So he sees him as. As a, as a colleague. So he's his brother, but he's also his colleague and fellow worker. And then the third description of Paul's uh, perception of, and his, the description of Paul's uh, feelings toward Titus 
comes in today's passage in verse 4. To Titus, my true child in the faith. We don't know a whole lot about Paul's married life. We do know he was, he was at least single or unmarried. So we don't know if he has any children, but he refers to his spiritual children, and Titus is one of them. So the depth of friendship, the loyalty. And Titus is tasked with leading the church in Crete. So let's, let's look at this letter that Paul has written to Titus. The, I, I'll put it this way. The main theme of this letter is, as it says here in the subtitle, Church Basics. Church Basics for a New Young Small Church. Paul has appointed Titus to be at the church in Crete, which is a, an island in the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. And in this book, he gives basics for what a new young church, small church should be. And so each part of this series, we're going to be looking at these simple lessons, these church basics. And I've summarized them all in, in one word descriptions for each one. And there's nine of them. But one is preaching. The preaching of God's word. Being one of the fundamental basics of a church. Leadership. Godly examples of godly leadership. Paul addresses to Titus. To the importance, the, the vital importance of sound doctrine. That's the third term. To discipleship. How discipleship is to take place among the members of the congregation. The gospel and how that should be a grid through which they see all of life. And service and ministry. The ways in which we are equipped to serve one another in the body of Christ. Witness. The importance of our witness or testimony to a lost world. And unity. The importance of the unity of God's people. All of these are themes that we're going to see in this letter. Now, some of you may be tempted to think, ah, you hear a pastoral epistle, like first and second Timothy, that this sounds like it's a book for pastors. It sounds like this is a book for church leaders and that this maybe is less useful to me and maybe it's less relevant to me. Let me um, let me encourage you not to think that way about this letter. Don't think that this letter is not relevant to you if you don't see yourself as a church leader or if you're not a pastor. For a couple reasons. First, this is part of God's word and all of God's word. All scripture is breathed out by God and useful for us. But second, there's lots of evidences in this letter itself that this letter was written for all of the church in Crete, not just to Titus. The way it's worded and things that he says give uh, give some good evidence that this is addressed to Titus, but to be read in the entire congregation. It's addressed to Titus, but the intended audience is the larger church. It's for everyone. You know, it's really popular today. Uh, podcasts. How many of you hear podcasts, right? Um, and how many of those podcasts, whether you're watching them on YouTube or you, you know, you're downloading them into some sort of podcast, how many of those are conversations between the host of the podcast and someone else? How many of those? Some? Or, 
I, I could think of like, like a really popular, like Joe Rogan, for instance. Like he, he is the host of the podcast, but it's usually like two or three hour long interviews with another person, right? And it's just them talking. There's no sense that either of them are talking to a larger audience, except it's a larger audience. Everybody is invited to come in and watch this, this conversation. I think that's a little bit like what we see here in Titus. This is written by Paul. He's writing to Titus, but everybody is, is a part of this. It's all for the, the hearer's benefit as well. So don't think that this isn't, this isn't for you. For example, he, he, Paul, as we'll see here in a moment, he talks about his apostleship. Well, Titus has known Paul for decades. He's not writing driving home the idea of his apostleship for Titus. He's doing that for this, the rest of the congregation to know Paul's authority and to know the authority that Titus has, that he sent there on behalf of the apostle Paul. So this is for, this is for everyone. And I put it this way. This is to get everyone, the entire flock, shepherd and flock all together on the same page. So with that, we have the church basics in mind. Preaching, leaders, doctrine, discipleship, gospel, service, witness, and unity. And this morning, we're going to look at the first one. And the first one is this, mission. Here's the key word, mission. Know the mission. Know the mission. And I'm going to unfold this in uh, three parts. It, it was four, but I deleted one of the parts because I know for sake of time. Uh, but God's word is sufficient. We will be able to... Hear what God has to say to us in these three parts. And I'll tell them right to you here at the front end. Here are the three. We're going to be looking at the man, the mission itself, and the message. The man, the mission, and the message. The man we've already introduced to, the Apostle Paul, who he describes uh, himself as a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul is a slave to God. Paul at one time was his own master, but he has now been brought into uh, under the master God, the supreme master over all beings and under his authority. He's the servant of God and he's the apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle there is means sent. It means an ambassador, somebody who is sent out with authority to convey what the one who sent him uh, is uh, has the authority to to represent the one who sent him. So think of this as uh, he's a he's a servant and he's sent. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, normally Paul often does this. He'll make reference to the fact that he's a servant of God and he's an apostle from Jesus Christ. And usually, it's an emphasis of its source. Here, he emphasizes this for its purpose. Why was Paul a servant? Why was Paul an apostle? And this leads us to our second one. The mission. Verse 1, the second half of verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of God's elect. For whom is Paul sent to serve? What is his mission? For the sake of of God's elect, or some translations might have, his chosen ones, his chosen ones. This is one of the several terms in the Bible for believers, for believers. But this refers 
specifically to how they were made believers in the first place. The elect are those who God has appointed to eternal life to hear and believe and receive the gospel. Let me read a quote of a, a description of this from, from J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer, a um, very well-known um, theologian who just passed away a couple of weeks ago, um, lived well into uh, his 90s. And he says this, this, uh, this verb, elect, it means to select, to choose out. And he says, the biblical doctrine of election, it's connected to this word God elect, God's elect here in verse 1, is that before creation, God selected out of the human race, foreseen as fallen, those whom he would redeem, bring to faith, justify, and glorify in and through Jesus Christ. This divine choice, Packer continues, is an expression of free and sovereign grace, for it is unconstrained and unconditional, not merited by anything in those who are its subjects. God owes sinners no mercy of any kind, only condemnation. So it is a wonder and a matter for endless praise that he should choose to save any of us. And doubly so when his choice involved the giving of his own son to suffer as sin bearer for the elect. This is a representation of, of the biblical teaching. And so let me walk through a couple of the verses that, that highlight what, what J.I. Packer is describing here and what I think Paul is describing here in uh, who he's referring to in God's elect here. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time here, but I want you to hear these other scripture verses. I'm going to have some on the screen, some I'm going to ask you to, to turn to. And as a matter of fact, if you want to turn to Romans 8, I invite you to do that now while I look at some of these other passages. Jesus said to his 12 disciples... You did not choose me, but I chose you. These are the same, the same root words connected here. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That's John 15. Is writing to his disciples. To a larger group, a much larger crowd earlier in John's gospel, Jesus says this. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. A little bit after this, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. But he goes on to say, but there are some of you writing to saying to this whole crowd who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Jesus knew this from the beginning. And he said to them, this is why I told you that no one could come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Those are a couple of the words of Jesus. Here, the Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 1. Beautiful chapter. Where he gives this doxology of praise. You've heard me quote this one many times. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. 
that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Or as Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. To this, he called you through our gospel so that you would obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or as Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, when he says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of works, our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus when? Before the ages began. Now, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter, or excuse me, Romans chapter 8. We'll also go into the book of Acts as well. But Romans chapter 8, Paul says these beautiful words at the end of Romans 8 when he's talking to the church of Rome about the life that they have in the spirit. And he says this at the end of this discourse on the Holy Spirit that is in them poured out onto these believers at the church of Rome. And he says this in verse 28. And we know, you could almost, by the way, sense the, the, the crescendo of what Paul is saying here. It's building. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined. He also called and those he uh, whom he called. He also justified and those whom he justified. He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God, if God is for us in this extent, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he also not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What a wonderfully encouraging picture that this work of God on our behalf. J.I. Packer continues, and here's a quote. The doctrine of election, like every truth about God, involves a mystery and sometimes stirs controversy. There's a little bit of understatement there, right? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Um, but in Scripture, it is a pastoral doctrine, he says. Brought in to help Christians see how great is the grace that saves them. 
How great is the grace that saves you. And to move them to humility, confidence, joy, praise, faithfulness, and holiness in response. It is, and this great line I had never noticed before, it is the family secret of the children of God. But how does this fit into the mission? <laughs> You're wondering, when are you going to get back to Titus? Well, how does this figure into this, uh, this point here about the mission of the church? Why is Paul including this phrase, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of God's elect? Why? Well, for this, I invite you to turn to the book of Acts to see how this figures in. And we're going to use some examples from Paul's own life. And I think some lessons that the Lord, in my opinion, I think the Lord was teaching Paul here. And now near the end of Paul's life, he can say and cling to these things with a great deal of confidence. Because how this, this understanding of God's elect fits in with Paul's mission, he sees them going together perfectly hand in hand. Acts chapter 13. Paul is in on his first missionary journey. Journey. He is in a place called Antioch. There's a couple of Antiochs in the Bible, but uh, this one is in the region of Pisidia. So it's Antioch in Pisidia. And he goes and he's, uh, as was his habit, he would go and begin by preaching the gospel in the synagogues to the Jews. And he would quote from the Old Testament passages. And he would show that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of David, the one who is going to be the king over all of creation because he's the one who suffered as a servant and he is the one who was raised to life. He's going in the synagogues and preaching these things. And some of the Jews receive this. They go, yes. Some go, no. To which Paul says these words near the end of uh, this chapter. When verse 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, Jews. Since you thrust it aside and judge for yourselves unworthy to inherit uh, unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, verse 48 they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Okay. Key, key is the order. He does not say as many who believed then were appointed to eternal life. He says as many who were appointed to eternal life believed. That's one example. So in other words, we'll put it this way. There are those out there, you just kind of get a good picture here, maybe. There are those out there who are not yet believers, who God has appointed to eternal life. God has chosen the general call of the gospel to go out, but it is to be made effectual in the lives of those who would come to believe. This is not the only place. His next journey, Acts chapter 16, and turn invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 16. They come to, in verse 11, they come to a city called Troas. 
And then he went from there to the city of Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed in the city some days, Luke being with him here. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we suppose there was a place of prayer. So most likely what's happening here is Paul was, as his habit, he would go to the synagogues and he would be going to the Hebrew scriptures and showing that Jesus is the Messiah to the Jews first. But apparently in Philippi, there is no synagogue. They probably didn't have the required number of Jewish males in the city to have a synagogue. So they had another little kind of place almost kind of like a Bible study or prayer group. And so this is where Paul goes. And one, verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. So meaning she was, she was still like a Gentile, but she was like kind of a God-fearer. Wasn't a convert to Judaism. And then notice what it says. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. She heard about Christ, received Christ, and was baptized. Says after she was baptized, her and her household as well, she was saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she hosts them, right? But notice what it says. The Lord opened her heart. That's in Philippi. Now turn to Acts 18. Acts 18. And this is at the city of Corinth. Paul is at Corinth. He's preaching the gospel there. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. He was persuading the Jews and he was persuading the Greeks who happened to be there. And then it begins to say that there's quite a few um, converts. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. Many of this is in verse eight. Many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. So so Paul is is getting a measure of success here in the city. But as he received everywhere, he probably was getting some hostility, some rejection. And I think he was doubting. Doesn't say it explicitly in here, but I think that there's some doubt, some some weariness of the opposition that was constantly against him. The reason I think this is because of what it says in verse 9 of Acts 18. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. And here's the reason he gives. For I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you. And then he says this, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now, here, he's not saying there's many in the city. Look at the group of people that have already come along. You got, don't be afraid, Paul. Don't, don't worry about any kind of opposition or hardship. Look at what, his, what I've already done here. No, he's referring to the ones yet to hear the word and yet to believe. And, the, and here, the Lord Jesus says, Those are, they're my people. My people are here. 
I'm encouraging you, Paul, to keep on going, keep preaching, because that word needs to go to my people so that they would hear and believe. There are those out there, I think if you look at the whole of all of these, and and there's other places we can go, there are those out there who are yet, who are not yet believers, who God has appointed to eternal life. And this is Paul's mission. This is Paul's mission, which is why I think he writes in another pastoral letter, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Therefore, he says, I endure everything, suffering, hardship, beating, beaten with rods, stoned, dragged out of cities. Why do I endure? Why do you do that, Paul? Why do you do the suffering? I, I endure everything. Why? For the sake of the elect. There's some out there who are going to be believers. They will be saved. The Lord will bring them in. I know it. And it's not based on my cleverness or my persuasive speech or my influence. It's based on the word of God and the spirit of God. I know this. This is Paul's mission. This is why when he writes to a church that's overhearing and he's talking to Titus, who he's known for decades, and he's conveying this. I am a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of God's elect. Beautiful. And what is the desired outcome? Three things. First, saving faith for the sake of the faith of God's elect. That they would come to believe. Second, spiritual growth. And for the sake of their knowledge of the truth. And third, sanctifying godliness, which accords with godliness. This is Paul's mission. And this is to be Titus's mission. And this is to be the church in Crete's mission. And this is to be our mission. There are those out there who are not yet believers. Whom God has chosen to respond to the gospel. Paul believes that Paul experienced that through his ministry and he wants Titus and Crete to experience and the Lord God wants us to experience that too. And then thirdly, the message, here's the message. Verse two, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. That's the message, the hope. Of eternal life. This is what Jesus preached, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Or as John prayed in his beautiful prayer, his high priestly prayer of John chapter 17, verse 3. When he says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. So that's the hope of eternal life. And then this hope is promised. It's first of all, it's promised by God. And it's literally here in the Greek. It's the never lying God. The God who 
swears his promise and he keeps his promise. Normally when we swear a promise, like we make an oath, right? You have to appeal to some other authority. Jesus would criticize the the leaders of the day because they would make an oath on the gold in the temple or something like that. God swears an oath. And I love how the writer of Hebrews says it. God swears an oath and he's like, and I swear by, and he has no one else to go to, right? I, I swear by me. I have no one other else to swear by. You have my word. So the never lying God promised this when? Before the ages began. The hope of eternal life through knowing Christ, which God has promised before the ages have began. The New Testament is not an afterthought. It's not plan B. God has always had this plan. He's foreshadowed it all through the Old Testament that all would be justified by faith through him, faith in him. And in the New Testament, we have the fullness of this covenant coming to fruition in Christ, that all who would have faith in him promised before the ages began. Amazing. Can I get an amen? So the man, Paul, his mission for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the message, the hope of eternal life. This should be our mission too. What a beautiful way to start this letter. And he continues. He teases out here for a moment the method that he's going to use to do this, right? So, so God has appointed this elect for eternal life, but there's a means by which that happens. There's a method. How is this carried out? You see this in verse 3. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. God chose the foolishness of preaching. And that will get us into our message for next week. Through expository preaching. But here, Paul wants to drive home up front for this church. What his mission is, what Titus's mission is, what Crete's mission is, and I believe what our mission is. And it's grounded in this idea that there are those out there who have not yet believed in Christ that God has appointed to eternal life. And with that, we have confidence to go and share the gospel, the call of the gospel, which God will make effectual in people's lives. That's our mission. Is that your mission? God, make it so. Let's close in a word of prayer. Almighty God, the never lying God, the God who speaks to us. God, you have spoken long ago through your people. You have spoken and revealed your will. And we thank you that in these last days you have spoken definitively in your son, Jesus Christ, to whom the Old Testament scriptures point and the New Testament scriptures explain. 
God, thank you that we have this revelation of Christ. And we thank you that that this message of Paul's mission and the message that eternal life is found in knowing Christ Jesus, that we would take those truths to heart and believe in your word and do what you would call us to do and to be. God, we pray that you would do that in and through us. Empower us by your spirit to do so. And it is in the glorious name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Friends, will you stand for our closing uh, benediction? Um, guys, reminder that our study on uh, the that uh, 1689 London Baptist uh, Confession is this Tuesday night, 630 at Speaker Real Estate. Uh, so uh, come to that. We'd love to have you. If you don't have the book and like one, I have one over here uh, for you. If you have any questions uh, about anything, I'd love to, to talk with you. And if there's anything that you would like some prayer about, uh, please come and see me and I will and I would be glad uh, to pray for you. So, brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our Father, and the fellowship that we share in the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.